Today we are at uh, week three of four uh, of our series of the treasure principle. And uh, we are thinking about stewardship and how we can gain God's perspective on our stuff. And uh, Pastor Richard reminded us that how we handle our ministry, uh, how we handle our money, excuse me, how we handle our money is not just a financial issue, it is a spiritual issue. So some 200 of you are meeting in small groups uh, during this series to discuss this vital topic. We have also just started our first intentional online small group here at MCBC. And we realize that it's not the first choice. I mean, the first choice is for people to meet face-to-face. But for those who are unable because of just the crazy work schedules that people find themselves with, we started this online ministry as well. And um, last week, I really felt challenged by the idea that, that my heart always goes where I put God's money. So our topic for this week, for today, is the sacrifice of giving. And this is principle number three from Randy Alcorn. Here it is, heaven, not earth, is our true home. And the big idea that goes along with this, if we think of our life in light of eternity, it is going to have an impact on how we handle our finances right now. Well, there's a story about a florist who mixed up two orders one busy day. One arrangement went to a new business that was opening, and the other went to a family that had a funeral. The man with the new business came in ticked off. Uh, He said, the flowers that got delivered to my opening day said, rest in peace. And the florist said, well, you think you're mad. Uh, You should have seen the people who just left. A bouquet was delivered to their family's funeral that said, good luck in your new location. (laughs) When, When we remember... Thank you, Hugh. (laughs) When we remember that we are only visiting this planet, that we are waiting for the renewal of all things, and that God has more in store for us than what this fallen world has to offer, it challenges our way of living and hopefully our way of spending as well. And so uh, from the scripture reading that we heard just a few moments ago, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 16, this great faith chapter, we find four reminders of who we are. And these four reminders have an impact on how we share our resources. So four reminders. The first reminder is this simple one. We are pilgrims. Notice that Abraham and Sarah, who teach us about faith, lived a nomadic life. Here is Abraham. He's 75 years old, a senior citizen, and he hears a call from God to pick up and go. Leave your home where you are comfortable. Leave your home where everything feels good and you know your way around the kitchen. Leave your home and go. A pilgrim life is a tent life. Look at verse 9 in Hebrews chapter 11, and amongst all the things that you read there, you find that one little phrase right in the middle, he lived in tents. So this past summer, 
there were 50 or 60 of us from MCBC that went camping to the Pinery. I observed, I noticed a few things. First of all, Draylen and Albert, they brought a little U-Haul to the site. Now, it was filled with all the necessities that I had neglected. Tarps, portable stoves, kitchen supplies, bicycles. What else was in there, Draylen? A couch, a fridge... I wanted to look more closely and see what all was in there. And then Vinroy and Ellie, they came prepared with gourmet, gourmet camp meals. Sheila and I had brought our sandwiches and had a little bit of food envy on that camping trip. But I was totally impressed. But here's the one thing that we all did together. We all lived in tents. All of us. We all knew it was temporary. That's what a tent is. It's something you set up knowing that another day is going to come and you're going to take it down and there's some place else to go to. For Abraham, his tent life kept him constantly on the move. Yes, it may be that they needed to go to the next place to get more water or their flocks needed a better pasture with which to graze. But more importantly, they needed to pick up and go because God commanded them to do it. That's why. And when you look at Genesis 12 and the beginning of this nomadic travel, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I am going to show you. You are now on the move. So too with pilgrims. Followers of Jesus have to be ready to pick up and move. It might be a move in geography. Uh, when Sheila and I moved here to Mississauga almost five years ago now, it was an emotional time for me to leave everything that we were familiar with in our last city and to start over again. But if we didn't come, if we didn't come, we would have missed out on all the blessings that we have discovered here. All the blessings here. Do you see yourself as a pilgrim? It's a question for you to think of. Do you see yourself as a pilgrim? Verse 13 tells us this about Abraham and Sarah. They admitted. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And the message is this. Don't get too settled down. God has someplace more to take you. A pilgrim is on the move. There's a pilgrim that really wants to be on the move. Um, the next point is this. Pilgrims travel light. Now, imagine going camping with the full contents of your closet. Imagine bringing your queen-sized bed, your big screen TV, your kitchen china. Well, it might be nice but it would be hard to pack and unpack every night. And that's why campers have to travel light. We have to be ready to travel light also with respect to our stuff. Who was it that said, uh, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul? A pilgrim can't get too attached to things because one day we're going to leave it all behind. Life as we know it, here is not our final home. Over the past weeks, we've been talking about how 
Our stuff won't last. Our stuff won't give us security. Our stuff really doesn't even fully belong to us because we're going to be handing it off to somebody else. And today, we're saying this. Our stuff is too heavy. But we can have a treasure that is lightweight and portable. Jesus urges us to store up treasures in heaven. Investing in the kingdom is a worthy investment. Pouring our lives into faith and hope and love is what really counts. Jesus is very clear about this. At the end of his perplexing parable in Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So then when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying that how we handle our money does have eternal consequences, even though the money will not last. We can spend our resources so that people will come to know and love our generous God. Pilgrims travel light. But the next part is this. Pilgrims travel by faith. Hebrews 11 offers some extended teaching on faith. Verse 6 is one of them that speaks to me, one of those verses that speaks so dearly to me. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This faith is not just the blind faith that, that jumps with no evidence. This faith is a reasonable confidence in the trustworthiness of God. This God who we are speaking of exists. This God who we are speaking of rewards us when we seek him. Yes, there are rewards. And this God whom we are seeking is a relational God who desires to have a relationship with us. Abraham had confidence in that God, the God who existed, the God who rewards people, the God who is a relational God and says, I have a place for you to go. But God has promised to guide you, even if the way feels uncertain. Look at verse 8, where we read about Abraham. Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Well, when I was a youth pastor, we had one youth retreat I will not forget. It was called, we, we titled it, Going and Not Knowing. And I told all the kids in the youth group, bring a bag of stuff, be packed and ready to go overnight, but I'm not telling you where we're going. Some of the kids said, well, what if we're flying to the Alps? I have to be ready if we're going to go skiing. And others said, what if we're going scuba diving and snorkeling? I need to be prepared for this. Um, I would not tell them. They kept asking, where are we going? By the way, parents, I did tell you. I told the parents where we were going. But the kids did not know. And they kept trying to figure out. And they kept asking again, where are we going? But my teaching was focused on the passage of Scripture where Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Maybe that was hard for Abraham, too, to figure it out. 
because he just didn't know where the path would take him. You know, if faith can see every step of the way, it's not really faith. If you can see every single place that your life is going to take you, then it's not really faith. Like Abraham, you're discovering that a Christian has to step out, not really sure where it's all going to go. Think of Abraham and Sarah. They get to the point where they are very old, right? They're 75 when they leave to go to this new land, but they are much older than 75 now. They're into their, and here's Abraham into his late 90s laughing, Abraham and Sarah laughing with incredulity that they're going to have a child. Imagine this. They are wearing Depends, and now they are told to go buy Pampers at the store. Now ponder just for a moment that God the Creator loves you so much. He loves you so much that he has chosen to enter into this world for you. He entered this world and he is ready to lay down his life for you. And are there not moments where you are just saying, that's incredible. That is just incredible. It's too good to be true. Or in the words of an old hymn, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. This is amazing. As a young person in church, I lived a kind of questioning life. I knew what it was like. I, I kept wondering if I was really a Christian. Am I really a follower of Jesus? I know maybe others in the church are, but but am I really one of those? Maybe I didn't read my Bible enough that week, or maybe I didn't um, feel like I was good enough. Maybe I didn't believe enough. And some days I felt like a Christian and other days I didn't. And I want to tell you that there were a few things that helped me with that. First of all, first thing that helped me was this. It was good for me to talk with someone else about my struggles that I had. If you are struggling with this today, I encourage you to talk with another believer about it. Somebody who's walked a little further down the road than you and share with them your struggles. You can't do this all by yourself because you have to journey with another. And the next thing that helped me was this. I felt relieved when I came to understand that I was trusting in God's promises to me. I was not trusting in how amazing I was. Salvation is God's work, and I am simply holding on for dear life to what he has done for me. But that is what I am holding on to. This is not your amazing task. Sometime later, I held on to a verse that was a promise from 1 John chapter 5. I write these things, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 
so that you might know that you have eternal life. You know, I know that once again, in small groups this week, our study is focused on finances. But you might want to back up and just ask the question, you sometimes still wonder if you're really a Christian? Maybe somebody in your group is is still wrestling through that question. And just to open it and just to lay it out, and if everybody feels confident, you just say, great, let's go on to the next one. But give some air time for somebody to share perhaps how they have struggled or maybe how they are struggling. You know, I think that question is also a good one because if we doubt that we are really Christians, it will have implications, including where we invest our money. The Hebrews 11 picture of faith is a steady trusting of God's good work. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. This is a day in, day out life of trusting God. It's not a one-time event where you look back 15 years ago or whatever number of years ago and say, that's when I gave my life to Christ and that's when I believed because believing is trusting God also with what you are facing in this very moment today. That's what an alive faith is. That's what a trusting faith is. Pilgrims. Are you a pilgrim? We're pilgrims on this journey. Pilgrims travel light. Pilgrims walk by faith. And then this. Pilgrims know their destination. If we are really pilgrims, then the most important question is, where is our destination? Where are we pointing to? Where are we going to? And we know that pilgrims will journey by faith. Their path may be mysterious, but they are not in doubt about their destination. Randy Alcorn's fourth principle is this. I should not live for the dot, but for the line. And for him, he develops this idea, meaning this. From our present life on earth, extends a line that goes on forever, which is eternity in heaven. And of course, if I live by faith, I know my destination. It has an impact on where I'm going to invest my finances. Jesus doesn't say treasures are bad. He just urges up to store up our treasures in the right place. Now, do you, like me, have a longing for something more than what this world has to offer? It's not just wishful thinking. It's God's assurance of hope to restore a broken world. It's the destination towards which we travel. Look at the text in Hebrews 11, verse 10. He, and that's Abraham, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Or verse 16. Instead, They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Or think of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Notice the contrast between the tent and the eternal house with God. And then think of Jesus' words in John 14. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You think the Bible here is, there's so many verses, there's so many people who are saying, we know our destination. We know it. On the day of my dad's funeral, just a few months ago, I took home with me, after that day, two of his books. One was uh, his Bible, and uh, I think I might use it for a little while. And the other uh, was a book that he had read and that I had read and we kind of shared in conversation together. It's a little book by John Ortberg and the title is When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. He and I both really liked this book and uh, I think he started reading it and thinking about it more seriously just after he had really experienced some pretty significant losses in his life. Um, And uh, I've read the book, and I had my own copy of the book, but that day, after the funeral, I took his and started leafing through it, and there was one page that drew me in. I want to read it to you. Here's what the author writes. I would like you to personalize this part of the book. That's what he says. Under this paragraph are some empty lines. Put your name in the upper one, and below you'll find two blanks. They're the bookends of your life. On the left line, write the year of your birth. No one's looking, so you can be honest about it. The date on the right is still a mystery. So I have put in a question mark. And in between the two blanks is a dash. And now that's when I picked up my father's book. I knew he was engaged because he wrote his name, Walter Dick. And then he put down the year of his birth, third month, 25th day, 1928. And then beside it was a question mark. You had no say at all in the number on the left, the year you were born. You arrived on this planet one day without being consulted ahead of time. Ready or not, here you came. You did not get to vote on your parents, your birthplace, your family order, or your DNA. All of these were chosen for you. You were made the bearer of a human soul, created in the image of God, destined for an eternal existence. You may be very happy about having entered the world, or you may feel that your life is a crushing burden, but you should know this. God is very pleased that you exist. He knit you together in your mother's womb. That year when you were born is one of his favorite years. One day, the question mark on the right will be replaced by a number as well. We don't have much say about that number either. This is part of what gives life its urgent value. We have one shot at it.
And that brings us to the great question. What are you going to do with your dash? What will you do with the turns you get to play the game? That little dash is yours to spend. To shape character, to give allegiance, to choose hope or cynicism, to seize initiative or to resign in passivity, to grow or stagnate, to be known or to hide. And the range of what is possible in one life is staggering. Adolf Hitler, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Jr., Attila the Hun, my grandmother. Each of these was given a single dash. And now, ready or not, you have been given a turn. The bell has sounded. It's your race now. What will you do with your dash? Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Loving God, in these moments we thank you that that we get to be pilgrims. <laughs> that you actually invite us to leave our home and to follow you on a journey. We realize that we have to travel light. We realize that we have to walk by faith, holding on to you. But we realize also there's a destination. And because of all these things, Lord, we, what we really want is, is you to shape us right now and to help us to make our lives meaningful right now. And that includes our finances and our resources. Lord, help us to be generous. Help me to be generous. And we give you thanks that you promised to walk with us. So may we continue to worship you and give you all praise and all thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.